Matthew chapter number 9 this evening. Matthew chapter 9, as um, Brother Jet said, um, preach this message in Oklahoma City. So if you were there and you heard this, I, I trust that it can still be a help and a, a good reminder for you. Um, all of God's Word can feed us. And I heard one preacher say this way, you know, if I get in line or if I get home and my wife makes fried chicken, I don't say, oh man, I've had fried chicken before. <laughs> he said, I grab a plate and get in line and eat it again. Yeah. And so if you were there, just eat again. That's all I know. That's all I know to tell you. Matthew chapter number nine, we're going to start in verse number 35. Let's stand in honor of God's word as we read, if you don't mind. In Matthew chapter 9, familiar verses, beginning in verse number 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, I believe this is one of the saddest verses in scripture, I really do. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, as Brother Lydic said, prayer request from Jesus, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Lord, we thank you for this meeting already. Thank you for the funds that have been raised by each person here, each church that is represented, each pastor that has led the congregation uh, to be generous when it comes to helping to get churches started. And Lord, we pray that each one of these men who stand up here can be good stewards of those funds and, and use them to bring honor and glory to you in reaching the communities where you have placed them. Lord, we pray that hearts will be open through the preaching of your word tonight. And Lord, that you can do a work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, help me, remind me of this wonderful truth. Challenge me through your word tonight. And in Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. Thank you very much for standing. I believe in this text we see something very special. And I would even say very unique when it comes to the ministry of Christ. Because you can take these verses that we're so familiar with and that we have heard perhaps if you've been in church your whole life, you most likely heard a reference to these verses early on in your days of attending church. But in, this, in these verses, we see the heart of Christ. Um, I think you could even say that we see some of the emotion of Christ uh, we see some of his innermost uh, feelings or even his passion. Um, you know, we understand that he had passion. And, and so we see his passion throughout these verses. And, of course, what he is looking at when he experiences this is he sees a multitude that is weary, a multitude that is scattered abroad and and having, I, th I think we could say it this way, society was obviously struggling as they were wandering through life aimlessly without any clear direction. Right. Yeah. That is what Christ saw when he looked at the multitudes 
And I don't need to remind us tonight that he sees the same thing most likely today when he looks at the multitude. Our society is wandering about aimlessly and really having no shepherd in their life. And so we, we understand this is such a practical position of society because I don't think society has changed from that day to today. Society is still in this scenario, in this situation. And so when Christ saw this condition of society referenced as the multitude, we are told that he was moved with compassion on them. It's a wonderful statement because in this, in this scenario, we are not given the words of Christ with some great teaching we're simply given his innermost feelings, that he is moved with compassion on them. We do not see a great, a great miracle that includes the multitudes like the feeding of the 5,000. We're simply told that he just recognizes their condition and he is moved with compassion. We are not given a parable. We understand all of these things Jesus has done. He has given a lesson or he has performed a miracle or he gives a parable giving them some great principle. But he does not even stop to give a parable in this moment. But rather we are just told that he is moved with compassion. This word compassion, when you look it up, there's three different, three different statements or words that make up this word compassion. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I believe it helps. It means the first part is to have bowels yearn. And it simply means there's an urgency, there's a desire to have, to have bowels that yearn. It's not, just, it's not just a matter I'm thinking about them and what a sad scenario, but there's something in me that wants to do something about it. And so there are the bowels that yearn and then it also means to feel sympathy, to feel sympathetic for them, to, to almost feel sorry for them as if they don't even know how bad they really have it. Are we, are we safe to say that about a lost individual who is not looking for God? They don't even know how bad they have it. And so he, he, part of this compassion is he feels sympathy and then, and then the, the next part of this, it means to pity. I mean, if you think about the word to pity someone, it really is a heavy word. And it almost has, and, and I, don't want to, I don't want you to dig more into this than what I'm saying, but, but when I think of when I pity someone, I almost see them in a situation that I don't see a way out. I pity them. The road ahead is going to be tough. The struggles that they are about to face are going to be difficult. I pity them. And yet all of these, the bowels that yearn and feeling sympathy and, and having pity, it is all wrapped up in this word compassion. And as I read this, and, and I know like yourself, sometimes we have to stop with familiar text and just read it slow and think about it and allow God to just show us something or just remind us of a great truth. And, and I was reading this and this whole message just came about as some, some reading and I just stopped at this and, and I remember asking the question, 
what was it that brought Christ to this point? I mean, what is it that brings him to being moved with compassion? And and I know and I know you're 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 most certainly more you're better versed in God's word probably than I am, but but I think the simple answer is, well, what do you mean? He saw lost people. But but my question is not so much that shallow, but rather understanding it's not the first time he's seen lost people. It's not, it's not like Jesus just all of a sudden realized, wow, society is a mess. And so, so I hope you understand my question when I say what brings him to this point. It is motivated by the fact that nothing new came into the mind of Christ. Right. Yep. And so, but yet in this moment, we we find him as he is moved with compassion and making these statements that the harvest truly, I mean, really just pouring out his heart about the scenario of man or the situation of mankind in the society. So we think about just this, what is it? I mean, he has seen the multitudes before. He had known the condition of society before this point. The spiritual deprivation of mankind was no new revelation that caught him off guard. In fact, in chapter 5, you know it, when he starts the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are you when, all, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Why? For my sake. In chapter number 8, after the devils went into the swine, we are told that the whole city came out to meet Jesus and when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. And the point being is that chapter 9, verse number 36, is not the first time he saw the true condition of society. And yet we see this movement of compassion. In fact, up to this point, everything seems to be going well for Christ and his earthly ministry. And then we come to a point where he focuses on the vastness of the need and has this outpour of emotion and compassion. And I want to look at what leads up to this point and and so I want to go back and, and set the stage, if we can use that terminology, for, for this moment. And we would see that Christ has had quite a busy day or so. And it begins in verse number 14. And, and other things happened. And in verse number 2, a man sick of the palsy is brought to Jesus. In verse 10, publicans and sinners come to sit at his feet and to learn from him. But, but I want to just start in verse 14. And let's go on a journey of what leads Christ to this moment in these well-known verses. In verse number 14, we read, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? Now if you look down and you see verse 15, 16, and 17, 
you'll see red letters in your Bible, and this is Jesus taking the time to give the answers to them as they have come, asked this question, and so Jesus is approached. This is, this is where we're going to start this journey of Jesus. Jesus is approached by some disciples of John, and they come with a question, why do the disciples of John fast off, but your disciples do not fast? And so Jesus takes time, and he, we'll call this, starts a, a Bible study with them, revealing truth to them, helping them to answer their questions. And so as he is doing this, as he is, as he is helping them and giving their answers, look at verse number 18. And we'll notice as it starts, while he spake these things. How many would agree? That means he is interrupted. Everybody okay? All right, so he is, while he spake these things, and so you have him, he's approached by disciples of John, perhaps he sits down and starts explaining to them, and so the picture is disciples of John, Jesus is here giving them, giving them the answers, and then a man comes in. By the way, a very urgent man, a man with a desperate need. And so because of the desperate need, he doesn't wait for the Bible study to end. That's why we read, while he spake on these things. And so while he is speaking to them, a man comes in, in verse number 18, while he spake these things unto him, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him. You know what that tells me? He didn't care who Jesus was in front of. He came and put himself right in front of him because he had a need and he needed Jesus to intervene. And so he comes and he bows himself before the Lord and he starts to lay out his scenario and he says, my daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her and she shall live. And Jesus said, wait for this Bible study to end and I'll look at my schedule for tomorrow. It's not what he said. In fact, look what he said. So Jesus arose and followed him. That means Jesus said, lead the way. Take me to her. And so, so, so get, please get this in your mind. Disciples of John are here. They've asked a question. Jesus is answering them. He is interrupted by a man whose daughter is dead. And so now he leaves them, but they decide to follow, which is probably good, a good thing to do. So they decide to follow. Jesus is following a man who has a desperate need. And so while he is on his way to this man's house, I want you to notice verse number 20. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood, 12 years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. How many would agree? He was interrupted. Everybody see it? So he's teaching one, and he's interrupted with a need. And then he's on his way to help with this need, and he's interrupted with another need. Here is a lady that has come to him with an issue of blood for 12 years and has tried everything, and so she doesn't care that he's surrounded by the disciples of John. He doesn't care that he's following someone. She doesn't care that he is on a mission. And I doubt, and, and I trust you'll allow me to have some liberty, I doubt this man with a dead daughter was just simply taking a nice, easy, quiet, sloft, and slow journey home. 
But yet this woman made an effort in her sickness and in her disease to make sure she got to him and interrupted his talk and said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And of course, Jesus knew exactly what had happened and stopped because he was interrupted by somebody who had a need while following somebody who had a need who had interrupted him while helping somebody who had a need. Right. And so now he is helping this woman, and of course she is healed, and so he gets back to business and gets, starts getting back to this. And by the way, I bet this man was so worried. Can you imagine Jesus stopping to deal with somebody else who was living when his daughter is dead? And no doubt he's saying, come on, hurry it up. Who cares who touched you? Let's go. I mean, I'm just... I'm just, I'm thinking Iowa thinking. Yeah. I mean, who cares? Let's go. My daughter is dead. She's lasted 12 years. She can last another couple days. That's probably not very biblical thinking. But he's interrupted again. He gets to this, of course, verse 19, verse number 20. The woman comes and touches the hem of his garment and of course, Jesus speaks to her in verse number 22. But then I want you to notice verse number 24. He finally gets to this house, this ruler's house. And he said unto them, give place for the maid is not dead but sleepeth. And look what happens right in the middle of Jesus' day. And they laughed him to scorn. I'll tell you the ones who, this is so not on the message, but it will be okay. I'll tell you the ones who laugh are the ones who are not around to see when he does great things. Yes. I mean, right after Jesus, imagine, right after Jesus feeds the multitude, he has a group say, show us a sign. Yeah. Well, if you would have been around, you would have seen a sign. And if you would have been following him, you would have known exactly what would have happened and you would not have laughed him to scorn. You would have parted like the Red Sea and let him get to the daughter because you would have known who he was. So anyway, she, he gets to the house and of course he's mocked. But then verse 25, the people were put forth. When the people were put forth, he went in, took her by the hand and the maid arose. So here's Jesus answering questions of the disciples, he's interrupted. Goes to heal a man's daughter, he's interrupted. Finally gets to her house, he's interrupted by the, by the scorning and by the mocking. He is, she, of course, the, the daughter is healed. And then look at what happens in verse number 27. And when Jesus departed thence, he didn't so much as get out of the house. Two blind men followed him crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. I mean, this is the day of Jesus. Disciples, Jesus, we have a question. Okay, here's the answer. Interruption. This is urgent. We must go. Interrupted. A woman with an issue of blood. I need to help her. Let's get back to the daughter. People laughing, scorning. Doesn't matter to him and it shouldn't matter to us either. And so he does what he is supposed to do. He heals the, the lady and then as soon as he leaves the house, he hears behind him two people yelling, hey, heal us. It's amazing how quick words can travel, isn't it? Heal us. 
And so two blind men come, and, and so Jesus then takes the time. Of course, if you look at verse number 27, he's saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. They said unto him, Yea, Lord, he touched their eyes according to your faith. Be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, verse number 30. Verse number 32. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. This just seems like it never ends. I mean, I'm having a Bible study. I got one man, his daughter is dying. And I've got another lady that, that is sick and has tried everything else and needs healed. And, and then I've got people laughing and mocking. And, and so the, the daughter is healed and then two blind men come. And, and so I heal them. And, and then after they're healed, they bring a dumb man. I mean, you want to talk, you thought your day was busy. I mean, this is a busy day. And so this is the buildup to these verses that we are, we are so familiar with. And, and so in verse number 32 and verse number 33, verse 33, the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and they, were, they marveled. It's never been seen in Israel. And then we come to our text. And the fame of Christ has spread abroad. And verse number 35, I believe, and I don't want to put more in Scripture than what is there, but I believe that verse 35 implies that this pattern that he laid out before us has continued with the sick and the diseased. I mean, that's what he says. Jesus went all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness, every disease among the people. He's saying the same thing continues because the word is traveling. And because the word is traveling, people are coming to Jesus, asking the questions, needing help and needing healed and needing him to intervene. And then we come to verse 36. And please do not miss this. Because perhaps after some long and busy days, Jesus is looking at a different multitude. We are told in verse number 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Please notice this is not the sick and the disease that are waiting in line saying, please heal me. And I want us to get a mental picture of, of what is going on because I think it will help us in, in, our, in, our, in our Christian walk and in our understanding of this moment of Christ, why we're not just given a lesson or a parable or, or some, some illustration, but rather he just pours out his heart to us. Because we see, and, and I think if you pastor, you know this, and, and I'm going to say this now because I think I might forget later. Don't, and when you're starting a church, if God has called you to be a church planner, don't get to the point till you can't wait to work in the office so that you no longer have to labor in the harvest. Because we mark that as the mark of success. I'm now full-time and busy. And you know what we're saying? 
We're so busy with people coming to us, we no longer have to go to anybody else. That is not a good place to be. We have this picture before us. Jesus is approached by the disciples. Jesus is approached by the man with the sick daughter. Jesus is approached by the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus is approached by the two blind men. Jesus is approached by the dumb man. You realize this? Every one of these people came to see Jesus. And I would say by the description of the multitude that he looks, out and looks at in verse number 36, he lifts up his eyes and he sees a multitude and there are many who are not in line. And yet they are just as sick. They are just as diseased. They are tossed. They don't even know it. They're as sheep having no shepherd. And they don't even know it. By the way, this prayer request right here throws Calvinism way out the window. Way out the window. Because these are not people in line. He said somebody has to go find the ones who don't even know what they need. He looks up and he sees this multitude. I want to try to help us with this tonight because I think we need help in this area. He looks up at this multitude and he tells us what he sees. In verse number 36, and you know the words, he says, because they fainted, we would say that they have a weary spirit. They fainted. It means this, to relax because of weariness. It's almost when people don't know what to do next. I just, I don't know what to do. And if you don't think that that's the condition of our society, look at the divorce rate, look at the suicide rate, look at our mental institutions. I mean, we have people who are weary in spirits. Is they're fainting. They don't even know what to do. And then not only, and again, I'm going to try to be mindful of time here, but we see this weary spirit. And this, this, is, this is not something new. I would say the man who had the dead daughter was also a weary spirit. And the woman with the issue of blood had a weary spirit. So please understand, it's not, it's not like that the multitude felt differently than those who came to Jesus. Just the ones who came to Jesus heard that Jesus can help and decided to go for it. Yeah. Can I say it this way? I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I think we're okay. Right. If we're not careful, we will, we will be so focused on, on the multitude in our community that come inside these church doors. And listen, the only difference is they heard that Jesus can help and decided to go for it. If you think just because they walk in those doors, they already are full of faith and belief. You have misunderstood society. I'll tell you why you, they walk through those doors. They are weary. I think every pastor, every time a visitor walks in, every pastor ought to ask himself, I wonder why they're here. 
I mean, think of, of, all the, of all the things to do on a Sunday. Why did they decide on Saturday, we have got to go to church tomorrow? And they might come in and say, oh, we just decided to try. Or, or we just, you know, it's been a while, so we thought we'd look around. But I can guarantee you something caused them to say, we need church. And this ought to be the place that they find what they need. If we're not careful, we'll be so happy with how many visitors we had, we never for one moment look at the multitude. You realize this church could be packed out Sunday morning and everybody be happy about that, but that is but a speck compared to the population of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. A speck. You, you could go to Google Earth and you could zoom in, and this place could be packed with chairs in the foyer. And you go online and you just start zooming out and you'll find that Eastside Baptist Church looks real small compared to the rest of the multitude. And your church does as well. The multitude, he says, they are weary. They, is, it's a, they are fainting. And then we see that it is a scattered people and we know something about this. We have the University of Iowa Hospital that is there. And we regularly have people come to our church. And the only reason they're in town is because they had to come for treatments. This was not life's plan. This was not their dream coming true. They are scattered abroad in the picture here, and we know this because of other parables in Scripture. The, the picture of scattered is like reaching in a bag and, and just scattering about. In other words, not, not being real precise in where it lands, but rather just wherever life throws us, wherever, our, wherever we land a job, wherever we go for our health, wherever we just land in life, he says, and I look at society and they don't even know why they're in the area that they're in. You can ask people, ask, ask somebody new that comes to your church. Oh, we just moved to the area. What brought you here? Oh, a job. They don't know a single person there. They just filled out applications and wherever would hire them, that's where they land. I mean, that's, that's, it's just what guides people. It's just kind of, and, and it's amazing me how many people will take the job and then search for a church. You know what you're telling? They are telling me that you are scattered about as sheep having no shepherd. And then that's the last thing he says, Adam, as sheep. Has, it means this. It's as if they are being thrown about instead of being led. If you ask society, if you ask somebody in your community, why are you here? There's, there's, they will not say the word lead one time. Different, different things in life came up and this is where they landed. Like they were just reached in a bag and tossed about. He says they, have, they are sheep having no shepherd. Now, and I know I'm, I'm belaboring this a little bit, but don't miss the point here. What I am describing is the community that God called you. Yes. This is where you are. This is the community, and they may, it may be a high-class community, and they may seem like everything is okay, but I promise you, society has not changed from what we just read in Matthew chapter 9. 
They're scattered as sheep, having no shepherd. They are an unguided people. Please don't miss this transition in the passage. As he is looking at those who come to him, the disciples of John, the Father, the one, all these that come to him, and he is busy ministering to people who come to him. And in a moment, he looks past those who are coming to him and he sees an entire multitude that is not coming. They're not coming. We just finished up. uh, One of our desires this year was to get the gospel in every home in our community. It's about 8,000 doors or so. And and we just finished that last Saturday where we got the gospel to every home in our community. But anybody here think that we had just to start pulling out chairs because of the number of visitors? That's not the case. It's not the case. You know why? They still have a need. They don't even know how bad they have it. And, and, And we all understand that society hasn't changed. But I have to wonder, when was the last time a pastor was moved with compassion? When was the last, listen, we have, we have our buses that run, and praise the Lord, visit the ones that come, maybe fine, but when was the last time a bus captain or a driver was moved with compassion? Because they just looked at the, mul- the ones who aren't even interested. And yet he is moved with compassion when he sees the condition of society. And I want to move on quickly here. I want you to notice a few things about the reaction of our Savior. He was emotionally affected. He was moved with compassion. I would hate to think how long it's been since some Christians, pastors, preachers, laborers have shed a tear. He was emotionally affected. To have the bowels yearn, a longing to respond. You see, you and I are in a different scenario than what Christ was in. Because Christ, don't miss this, he looks out at the multitude, but he knows his days are limited. And he knows as as his time is short and he he looks at the multitude and he says, I cannot reach every one of these. Thank God for the ones that come and have heard the news that Jesus can help. Praise the Lord for those that walk in the door saying, my grandma told me about Jesus or my parents taught me about the Lord. But there is a multitude that doesn't have that. Jesus understands it is impossible for him in his time to reach every one of them. Which is what brings about the request. I cannot get to him. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. I'll tell you what we're real good at, and then we'll close it up. I'll tell you what we're real good at. We'll, we're real good at laboring at a welcome desk. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And we're real good at laboring in a Sunday school room. Mm-hmm. And we're real good at laboring at a potluck. 
But you realize the average church has more people, more ladies on the nursery rotation than men will show up for outreach? Everybody okay with that? He did not say, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers into our churches. Now thank God he calls us to churches. And thank God for nursery workers and for kitchen workers and, and the greeters and the ushers and the security. Thank God for all of them. But I have to wonder, have we become so fixed on the ones coming to us that we are no longer laboring in the harvest. Everybody knows what that means, right? It means not showing up here ready to serve those who walk in, but it means going out to them even though they have no idea what they need. And let me say to you church planners, this, this helped me so much. You are an answer to Jesus' prayer. Praise the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Well, you want to talk about a humbling thought. When Christ, when God called me to North Liberty, Iowa, I believe with all my heart it was still a response to this request right here. There is a multitude. And I said this in the beginning, but let me say it again. And I'll couple it with be not weary and well-doing. Church planner, don't get to the point that you're tired of laboring in the harvest and you feel like it's some notch of success to get where you can labor in an office. Everybody okay with that? Your calling was not to labor in an office. Your calling was to labor in the harvest. And don't, don't feel like you, don't rush it. That's, that's the, and I was guilty of this, don't rush it. Oh, if I could just have office time. I didn't have, somebody, we don't have offices. We have a closet or a bedroom or a spare and we don't have an office. I had a guy tell me when you're starting the church, hey, when you start your church, have your treasurer fill out this form. I'm like, brother, how did you start a church? Like, what treasurer? What are you talking about? Come on, man. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Yes. Somebody has to be the one reaching out to those who are not reaching in. Somebody has to. And that's what God called each one of us to do. And I think we know this. This isn't just for church planners. It'd be great if some men and some couples in a church would say, Preacher, I think I want to labor in the harvest. Yeah, please. I want to labor in the harvest. I want that to be my... You may not bring a, you may not bring a busload of people in. You may, you may go all year and only have one or two visitors that come with you, but I'm telling you, it is a worthy calling yes. to be a laborer in the harvest. Amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed tonight. Pray ye therefore, pray ye therefore. Many are coming already. How about you tonight? Do you need to labor in the harvest? 
Listen, I understand church planning. I know it's wearisome. I know it's work. And I know there are financial needs along the way and there are family needs along the way and you're trying to you're trying to keep your family where they need to be and trying to fulfill God's calling. And don't don't give yourself some mark of success of finally I don't have to go out into the harvest. Keep laboring in the harvest. Keep laboring in the harvest. Lord, help us now as we respond in this time of invitation. God, help us to see the multitude. God, we are thankful for visitors that come to the church, but we know, we know there's a multitude who never pull in the parking lot. God, help us to lead our churches to be laborers. Help us as pastors to set the, to set the way, to not fill our calendar with those coming to us. But may we set some time aside to labor in the harvest. God, help us now in this time as the instrument plays and perhaps someone sings. Help us to respond in a way that would please you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.